1: That's ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay.
0: It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now,
1: your host, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and I am joined today by Jay Moyer of Fantasy Football Astronauts. If you do not follow Jay on Twitter, he is at J M O Y E R F B. I keep up with him. Basically, there's very, very few people I trust as much as him when it comes to running back evaluations. I also like to argue with him about receivers. I also think he does a fantastic job just breaking down skill position players in general. Uh, And then obviously, if if you do fantasy football, like, what are you doing? Why aren't you following him? So thanks for joining me, man.
0: Oh, yeah, no problem. Anytime uh, there's a chance to talk football, I'm down. And uh, obviously, you know, you're big interest in the Broncos. So they have some interesting things to talk about right now.
1: Definitely. Uh, so kind of the player that, that caught my eye that I really want to talk to you about kind of at length um, is Javante Williams. Uh, I actually, I think I'm higher on him than you are or were back during the pre-draft process. Um, I evaluated him basically focused on how he fits the Broncos scheme. Um, And that might be part of it, but I'm not sure. Um, But I actually, I watched your breakdown of him and you watched, and again, it's easy for this to happen because Michael Carter and Javante Williams split the backfield at North Carolina. But I think you're higher on Michael Carter, or you were higher on Michael Carter than Javante Williams when they were coming out. Um, I'm wondering kind of like where you're at with Javante and then also kind of going from there. The first thing I want to ask you kind of is uh what do you think of the fact that the Broncos traded up for him? Uh, because the Broncos trade up in the second round up to 35 from 40, giving up a fourth round pick to get Javante Williams. Uh like do you think that was kind of a smart move? Do you think it like do you think he can justify that, I guess?
0: Well, you know, running back value is is pretty tough because you've seen a lot of guys really produce well. Uh, you know, despite being second, third, fourth, fifth round, even undrafted free agents, you know you think of a guy like James Robinson or Philip Lindsay. So the NFL has shown that they you know Lindsay, obviously someone that you know well and the Broncos knew well. Um, NFL has shown that they can get functional running backs late. Uh, and I you know I think not even even above functional when you talk about a guy like Robinson or Lindsay, those are they're really good NFL running backs. They may not be, uh, you know, a true bell cow top five guy like, you know, someone like Dalvin Cook or something like that. But they're guys that can really bring value to your offense. So I'm not a big fan of trading up to get a guy. Um, I'm not a big fan of taking running backs in the first round unless they're really like an Adrian Peterson type talent where you're like, wow, this guy's a generational player. And even then, uh, you know, when those guys are typically getting drafted in the top 10, it's probably not the move I would make as an NFL decision maker because, you know, and the numbers have, have sort of bore this out when you get into football analytics, etc. Spending a lot of resources on that position just tends not to reward teams with a lot of value for winning games. Um, that said, you know, when you think about a team like the Broncos trading up to get Javante, what that indicates to me is that they... They really wanted him on their team, so they probably had a first round grade on him in their scouting department. You know, given that they're trading up to get to thirty five, which is just outside the first round, uh, he was probably the highest rated player on their board. They probably think that he fits well with what they want to do on offense. You know, some of the comments after drafting him indicate that they see him as a guy who can develop into an every down back and and be that bell cow. Uh, I, I do have you know you alluded to this. I do have some hesitations about him as as a runner as a complete running back. but I see why you would project him to be an every down player because you know what does he what does he do well? Well he has he definitely has some very specific talents as a runner that lead themselves to very exciting highlights mm-hmm. where if you can get that consistently out of him, He can be an excellent runner but in addition to that what nfl teams are often looking for when they talk about a guy who can be an every down back is what do they bring in the passing game javante has excellent hands like he catches the ball really really well uh and that's that's just one part of being a receiver right a receiver has to catch the ball but being a complete receiver you have to run a route you have to be able to get open you have to be able to get open at the right time you have to be in the right place um so Javante is not as it stands, he's not that refined of a route runner, hmm. like like a Christian McCaffrey or Alvin Kamara, where they're able to separate at will against a linebacker. You know, you get him out of the backfield running an option route or an angle route or some kind of halfback scene. He's not on that level as a route runner. That doesn't mean he won't get there. Um, but he is a very good receiving college back who tracks the ball really well. He can catch everything, like really, really good hands. Some of the best hands I've seen in a running back. Uh, You know, you throw on their film. Sam Howell's throwing these crazy passes that are all over the place. He's laying out, catching, uh, you know, ground balls with his fingertips, stuff like that. So very impressive just how he catches the ball. And then obviously he has some real highlights in pass protection where, Mm -hmm. you know, linebackers are blitzing and he's coming up and putting them on their back, just very physical. His physicality really stands out. So you see why – they like him as someone who can grow into being an every down back. Uh, you had also mentioned that I like Michael Carter
1: mm-hmm.
0: more than Javante. I think when you get into the entire picture from an NFL perspective, NFL team's perspective, where passing is such a valuable component of the offense, and and running backs, their value is often, you, you know, where they stand apart is what they bring in the passing game. I think Javante has an edge there which is why teams, you know, again, see him as that every down back. What I like about Carter is his talent as a runner, specifically in zone schemes. And again, you know, then translating that to the Broncos, that's maybe not quite as important because as I've seen you point out on Twitter and elsewhere, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people who chart these things have charted that last year, the Broncos ran a relatively high proportion of what we like to call gap schemes. Yeah. Uh, or like man blocking schemes and And just to get into that a little bit you know when you talk about a zone run what it is is all the offensive linemen are going to be moving towards the side of the run they're all going in that same direction as the runner and the running back is then you know sort of picking through the the weeds to try to find an opening and you end up having the running back read across you know two three four different holes to figure out the best place to go whereas a gap run there's typically one hole that they're trying to attack. The offense yep. is trying to attack. Um, and so the running back has to read one guy. And then if everything's blocked well, his job is to make one guy miss. So Javante did this really well in terms of running gap schemes, did this really well at North Carolina. They ran a lot of, of a play called counter, which is a very popular, you know, very traditional gap style run where the guard pulls. Uh, and then one other person, whether it's a tackle or a tight end, or fullback pulls sort of just behind that guard so you have two pullers the running backs reading the end man on the line of scrimmage on whether to take it inside uh, that pulling blocker or to bounce outside uh, Javante is really good at doing this both in terms of picking the right hole and also timing his attack and then what he really excels at is once he gets an open field he's, he's elusive uh, he breaks tackles he you know, drags tacklers. He has some of the most exciting highlight runs that you'll see out any rookie running back in this class. Um, so I think the fit for the Broncos really will will help magnify and augment his strengths while minimizing some of the impact of his weaknesses uh, when it gets to his his vision and decision making in zone runs, which is really, you know, when you watch him in college, he has these moments where you can tell the gears are just sort of getting jammed up in his head. And he's just not making a decision. And it's almost every time it happens on these zone runs where he has to make uh, complex decisions across multiple gaps. Um, So I don't think he'll ever be elite there, but he can improve. And I think the way they run their offense, it's not necessarily the most important component of his game. Like what he does well fits well with what the Broncos want to do.
1: And. And I think one thing you mentioned in the video I watched that you broke down both Carter and Williams that I thought was really interesting and it made me reevaluate kind of how I was looking at them both is the fact that you it's easy to watch them both at the same time because obviously they're on the same team, which only highlights the fact that Williams has that weakness because you watch Carter and Carter is so good at it. Like his vision is special. Um, and the fact that he can see and pick apart moves and then you watch Williams and Williams will bounce wide when he could have cut back up. And it, it just, it's more glaring because you just watch somebody who didn't do it at all. Um That's I do agree. Yeah, yeah, with you. I mean, I do. I, oh, go ahead, Sari.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree that Carter, I mean, the thing that he does best is specifically that. So, mm-hmm. like, the footwork, the vision, the decision-making in zone runs. And w- when I see runners who have really done, have done better than expected in the NFL, the guys who tend to do better than expected are, p- are running backs who are good. In those areas, Uh Philip Lindsay is a great example. You know, the guy's 180 pounds. He was undrafted. He's fast, obviously. Uh But what is what does Lindsay do well that allowed him to achieve much better than most undrafted free agents in terms of one making the team and then two having a, a career where he's you know a thousand yard rusher? And really, what it is is that he has excellent vision, excellent footwork. He runs with anticipation. And the reason I think that 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 talent is both important, but also undervalued. Um, I just think that it, it's, it's, it's not very easy to scout, mm-hmm. you know, the, the open field highlights, the highlight runs are really easy to see like Javante. You don't have to look very hard to see that, that what the talent he brings to the field, mm-hmm. you have to look a lot harder to, to uncover some of his weaknesses. Um, and I think classically with running back evaluation, in the NFL, that that trait of of the vision, the decision making, the efficiency specifically, um, is a bit undervalued. And when I see guys who are better than people think they'll be, it tends to be like the Dalvin Cooks, the Philip Lindsay's, uh, you know, Alvin Kamara, where they're not necessarily big jump cut, flashy highlight guys. Although those guys obviously have great highlights, but oftentimes it looks easier. It looks like their job is sort of easy, you know. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because they're just seeing things so well and, and being efficient. Uh, so yeah, I mean that contrast there between Carter and Williams definitely highlights Williams weaknesses in a a sort of a negative light, but then also, you know, some of Williams strengths are some of Carter's weaknesses, specifically like their run strength, you know, how strong they are running through tacklers. You'll see, you'll see Michael Carter get ragdolled by linebackers, for instance, like Javante Williams is not going to get ragdolled by a linebacker. So, you know, he runs with, with, great drive, uh great strength, really excellent with just like the precision of his pad placement, which is another thing that I think is underappreciated in running back play. Uh you know, Javante is sort of like a ninja out there when he's when he's interacting with tacklers. That same video and I think the video you're referring to was the this Miami game. This like Magnum Opus film breakdown I did on a live stream <laughs> that's now posted to to YouTube on the Fantasy Football Astronauts uh youtube channel but it's like an hour long yep of just really breaking out every run by these two guys in that game um so and i mean i mean I, I it's fun to watch those guys because they're both really good at certain things and they complement each other really well mm-hmm. so definitely one of the most fun games to watch in that miami game they ran for over 500 yards combined so it's it's quite the show by both guys
1: and i and i'm actually by the time you guys are listening to this this will come out with a post and I will share the link to that video in the post. So you guys can definitely check out Jay's breakdown of it as well. Cause I, again, I can't recommend it enough. I thought it was awesome. Um, one of the things you mentioned to that too. And again, I, I've, I've watched Devonte Williams whole season now, twice over, um, once before he was drafted and now once since. And before the, like, I, I appreciated it then, but I didn't really have like, the words to really define like what I was really liking so much about him. But one of the things that you said that really just struck like stuck with me is just how he can string moves together so effortlessly. Because like, you see his moves, and he has contact balance. And like that stands out to you almost immediately. And also for a bigger back, like, he, he's underrated in the fact that like, the way he can move quickly and kind of adjust his body and have like an overall feel for his body, I think. Um, And you mentioned the micro movements. And, and I hadn't had a, like a way to really define that. And like after I listened to that and I actually rewatched it, it just stands out to you. Like the spin move, the fact that he can just like he'll make subtle cuts. Like again, like you said in the video, like he's not a big jump cut guy. He will hurdle, but he's not a guy that's gonna make like these big flashy jump cuts. But what he'll do is uh, in a phone booth, he'll make you miss, and then he'll go forward and he'll make it make the most of the play. And I thought that that was one of those things that like the more I've watched and the more that's really stood out to me
0: yeah no doubt there's a there's a subtlety to his game uh that you know you don't really appreciate until you sort of slow it down and watch uh and i mean he's he's a very interesting he has a very interesting skill set because you know you talk about vision right and i said like he has some weaknesses with vision in zone schemes so vision is something that's thrown it's it's a very common term Mm -hmm. for running backs right like how do they see the field you got to sort of define what you're talking about. So with Javante, you know, like you're saying, he's he's sort of a step ahead, right? He's stringing moves together in the open field. That's part, that's part of vision. So I wouldn't say that he has bad vision overall, his deficiencies are very specific in how they relate to one run scheme. But then when you talk about like his vision in the open field, you know, he has, he has really good anticipation of, of tacklers, really good, peripheral vision for when tacklers are coming, and and he reacts to those guys before most running backs would, and so the way that manifests itself on tape is you can see defenders are surprised that he's ready for them when they go to tackle him, and so, you know, in a a situation where they're usually surprising a running back and they're tackling him with a big hit, Javante is actually ahead ahead of them and is delivering the blow rather than receiving the blow, and that you see defenders, you know, across multiple games, multiple runs, you see consistently them being sort of surprised that he's already on to the next move. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, anybody that has watched Javante Williams is aware of that one specific run against yeah. Miami, you know, his best highlight, but probably one of the best highlight runs you'll ever see from any running back, yeah. uh, you know, where he does all those things in one run in terms of hurdling a guy, you know, spin move, running someone over and any one of those things is impressive in and of itself but the most impressive thing about that run is just how he's able to stay a step ahead of the defenders and string all those moves together back to back to back and that is is really special open field vision you know so when you when you talk about vision for me someone who spends way too much time thinking about running back play you know we we get into the weeds a bit because a guy can both have really good vision in one sense and, you know, below average vision in another. Uh, so just being specific with how I said, you know, I don't want to make it sound like he has just terrible vision, can't see anything on the field. He's running with his eyes closed because that's not him at all. And, you know, he really stands out uh, with his peripheral vision and his open field running.
1: Well, I'm, I'm actually really glad you brought it up too, because I like, I wrote my breakdown already. So like I wrote it bef- last week before I had to basically reschedule because of my vaccine. Um, And what I wrote about his vision is that it's kind of like a blurred line in a way. And I know it's like a punny thing, but it's like there's certain areas of his vision that kind of stand out. And the one that stands out the most to me is his zone. Uh, Like what happens in zone, sometimes he'll make the wrong decision. He won't see the hole developing and he'll end up going somewhere else. Or he'll get impatient and he'll try and cut it wide when he should just cut up. Um, And I think in the NFL, and you've mentioned this, in the NFL, I think that will be more of a problem. Um, but one of the other things you mentioned on your video that stood out to me more and more the more I've watched him is there's times where he's near the line of scrimmage and he has to make someone miss and he ends up because he's so focused on that one person he's trying to make a move on. He'll miss other people coming in and I don't know, n- know necessarily if that's like an issue with peripheral vision, but I think he just like he's fo- like he it's almost like hyper focused and because of that, he'll he has blinders um, and I don't think that's necessarily like a peripheral vision issue or a vision issue but I would put that under the umbrella of vision just because like, that is something that there's no other way that I can really like put that on my scouting report.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think that, you know, you get to a point where it's almost like sort of sensory overload. Yeah. So if, if things are packaged for him in a way that's, that's manageable. So like a gap, a gap style run on counter, there are countless examples of him running counter, like perfectly in terms of, you know how he's relating to his blockers, how he's timing his cut, uh, how he's anticipating. You know where where the blocks will lead him. But it's it's sort of on counter on those gap style runs. It's sort of packaged for a running back in a way that you know it's it's a nicely prepared dinner rather than a bunch of ingredients, and you got to figure out what to do with all the ingredients. Whereas zone runs, you have all this thi- all this stuff happening at one time and so you can get in the in the situation with certain runners where it's just sort of like there's so much going on that by the time you figure it out it's a little bit too late mm-hmm. and so it's like almost a half step behind and i think what what that resulted in with him functionally is that a lot of the times he's then by default sort of just taking it outside mm-hmm. because what he can do you know he has he has good burst it's not it's not like Travis Etienne's burst but he has good burst um, so he's fast enough to get out there. And then once he gets in the open field, he can break tackles by defensive backs very reliably. So in, at least in college, so in college, Oh, I don't know what's going on with the zone run. I'm going to run outside and I'll make something good happen. And more mm-hmm. often than not, he's able to make something good happen. So it's, it's then a bad habit that gets reinforced by success. But then what you see with these guys and like David Montgomery is a good example of a guy who did this a lot in college. Uh, and then had some trouble initially transitioning to the NFL. Uh, you know, it seemed last year that he got a bit more efficient with his decision making, which is why I say that these guys can improve with time. Um, but just, you know, it's, it, the bad habit gets reinforced by positive feedback. If you do something that's bad, but then it keeps working for you, you then think that, oh, this is actually a good thing. Um, but NFL defenders are so fast. The pursuit is so efficient. The defensive backs, as a general rule, are better tacklers. You know, not every time. Not all defensive backs in the NFL are great tacklers. Um, But it's just less likely that bouncing it outside is going to be successful for you unless you're someone like Saquon, who's just like the most ridiculous, explosive athlete you've seen. And even with him, what you see is, is that guys like that, even with that absolute elite athleticism, when they run, have a running style like that where they're sort of taking things laterally a lot it becomes very inefficient and and a lot yeah. of it depends yeah. on the blocking they're getting so if Saquon has good blocking he'll just go off you know he'll, he'll have a ridiculous game but he'll have he'll have a game where it's like 15 carries for 17 yards because you know he's bouncing things outside and he's not getting those 3 4 yard gains like a guy like dalvin cook would you know dalvin you, you'll never really see him get a, a game where it's like less than 2 yards a carry or less than 3 yards a carry because when, even when things are tight and not really blocked well he's able to find the the creases to get you know 3 yards instead of 1 yard or make the most 2 yards instead of negative 2 yards um and really I mean it's just a matter and I think where it's important for coaches is is like understanding these guys strengths and weaknesses and the Broncos seem to ha- seem to understand Javante's strengths and weaknesses, both in terms of his running talent and then also his passing game talent. Um, because, like I said, at least based on what, you know, Shermer had them doing last year and and the offensive line coach had them doing last year with their run game, it seems like a good fit. And so, you, you know, you hope to continue that. And what I like to see teams do, especially early in careers, is allow allow guys to do what they do well. So they build that confidence and they're like, all right, I can play at this level. And then while you're doing that, you're, you're working on the weaknesses sort of in the background. And then by, by building confidence and addressing those weaknesses, that's how you see guys improve. Whereas if you just throw a guy who's a bad fit into the deep end from day one, you know, it becomes so overwhelming that then the guys struggle to, to adapt. They start having confidence issues, stuff like that. Um, so I I think that it, things to me it seems like things will play out well with Javante in Denver. I think it's a good fit uh, from a talent and scheme perspective.
1: And and I mean you both what you said and then also just the more I've thought about it, I'm optimistic that in time he'll improve. And again, I don't know necessarily if he'll ever become an elite zone runner because I just don't like I don't think he has the same type of skill set to do that. But I think he'll improve enough that he'll be a functional zone runner. Um, where it won't be, like, a crippling weakness by any means. I, I do think early on it might be an issue just because if he's making poor decisions and missing an open hole, like, especially knowing like the Broncos have at right tackle, like, he definitely could get caught trying to bounce wide on that kind of situation. Um, but I do think, like, as he kind of gets a better feel for it, because the other thing that it's it's easy – well, it's become easy for me to overlook because I've watched, watched him so much, but he's still kind of an inexperienced runner because he switched to running back – his senior year in high school. And then he split duties with Carter for the whole time he was at UNC. Um, so he hasn't had a lot of carries yet.
0: Yeah. I, don't, I mean, I think that it, it, that that's definitely true. And I think that one way that he'll benefit on the Broncos specifically is, you know, they're, assuming Melvin Gordon stays on the team and, you know, they don't move him in training camp or whatever. Uh, you know, Gordon, Mike Boone is actually a good zone runner. I was going
1: to ask you about him because I saw that you had a breakdown on
0: him. Yeah. You know, he didn't get to play much behind Dalvin Mm -hmm. cook, Uh, Dalvin cook in my, for my money, he's a top two or three running back in the NFL. I mean, he's just, and when you talk about all those things of vision, efficiency, zone decision-making like that, he's as good as it gets. So Boone didn't get to play much, but when he did play, you know, he was almost like a poor man's Dalvin cook in the set. In when he's running those zone runs, very efficient, good vision, Um, so I think that if, you know, if they want to run zone, that they can very easy, easily tailor their offense to have sort of like North Carolina did where they had Michael Carter running a lot of the zone runs, um, early on, you know, whether it's, whether it's Gordon or Boone, when they're running their zone stuff. And then when they're doing their passing game stuff, uh, you know, a little more of the misdirection in the run game with gap runs or short yardage, you know, power schemes, Javante is an excellent fit there early And so by having in that first year, not saying, all right, Javante, you got to go do it all, Mm -hmm. you know, by having a little bit of a committee, at least early on in his career, it allows him to get his feet wet a little bit without feeling overwhelmed. And then also learn from those other guys who have more experience. Uh, You know, Melvin Gordon is a guy who's improved his vision and decision-making as he's gone through the NFL coming out of Wisconsin. You know, they, they have a really good offensive line. They tend to run a lot of, gap style runs he's a guy who had to adjust you know he struggled as a rookie he had to adjust with his vision so it's sort of a good mentor for Javante to have um and I I think the running back room the way it is built now it will be great uh, for the team this year but then also really good for Javante you know gaining experience in working towards taking over as that lead guy as that every down back more in year two or year three What do you think,
1: uh, Like, kind of like the,
0: and I did this before the draft, I do like a three-year
1: ceiling just because I think by year three, you're starting to see what this player is going to probably become for like the prime of his career. Uh, What do you kind of see as like the ideal, like optimistic, everything kind of went right ceiling for Javante Williams?
0: I know you Uh, comped him
1: to Zach Moss, so I don't know if that helps because I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit.
0: No, so I mean, Zach Moss is another guy that, Coming out of college, you know, was was highly regarded for his ability to break tackles, mm-hmm. uh, his power, uh, his his like flexibility. And another guy who had really good open field vision, really good open field runner, but then also really contributed well in the passing game at Utah. Um, so, I mean, Moss is a little bigger and not quite as explosive as Javante. Um, so there's a little bit of a difference there. Uh, but just the running style was very similar. And I think the people are probably very down on Zach Moss because mm-hmm. of his rookie year, where some of those like vision decision making things really showed up, especially early in the year. Um I think Moss still has a lot of potential. He he showed improvement through the year. Um but Javante, as far as you know, is he gonna be like Moss? People think of Moss as a bust right now because That's he had wild, one year. Man.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I, I, mean, don't, I, some, I don't keep up with that. I like I didn't know that. I honestly I didn't know he was considered a bust because I don't think I, I I don't think I think it's too serious. well. I, mean,
0: I don't think everyone thinks of him that no, no, way. No, yeah, but generally, I hear, yeah. especially when you get into like the fantasy football yeah. co- football community, like no one's excited about Zach Moss. You know Zach Moss is done. You know another guy like that is Clyde Edwards Hilaire. He had a really good rookie season. He's a guy that I love for a lot of his vision, Me the too. things he does well, similar to Michael Carter uh, in that sense you know, he didn't go off from a fantasy perspective. So people are saying, oh, he's toast. And then you have your whole laundry list. There were a lot of rookie running backs, you know, Antonio Gibson, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers. So last year was a really strong class. So they say, you know, these, these guys are the guys that we loved all along. They're the truth. Clyde Edwards Hilaire, Zach Moss, those guys, you know, they were disappointing they their bust relative to what we thought. But, all these players have only played one year and uh, you know, you'll know you'll see how they develop. And I think Zach Moss still has a lot of potential as an NFL player. I'd like to see them expand on his involvement in the passing game. Um, as far as like Javante ceiling, I think probably best case scenario is he becomes a functional, like you said. I don't think he's going to be an elite zone runner, but at least become a functional zone runner. Uh, he will be a very, very good zone, I mean a uh, gap, And like power scheme runner. And then also just developing the route running. So he's more of a downfield threat as opposed to like a swing pass, get him in open space. I mean, he can already do that. But if he can develop a bit of like the downfield route running, you know, separating if linebackers are trying to guard him, uh, that he really can be a a good dual threat weapon and, you know, like a, a lead back in an NFL offense who takes most of the snaps. I think it'd probably be good to have a guy like Mike Boone. He's a great. He's a great complementary backup type for Javante because they sort of have complementary strengths. Um, so, I mean, that's that's sort of where I see it going, and I I hope that he gets. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. You know, really good focused coaching on just not trying to hit a home run on the zone plays. And if you're confused as to what you're seeing, you know, try to plant your foot, get upfield, find a cutback lane, uh, because that's that's really even if he's not exactly precise with his decision making, he has the strength, the power, uh, you know, the ability in collisions to still get those two, three yard runs, even if he's not perfect with his approach. Uh, but then, you know, his strengths elsewhere are, are enough to overcome that weakness in terms of making him a really good player.
1: One thing I wanted to ask you about kind of, before I I kind of move to a couple other questions I had for you is, uh, one of the things I really liked about him is how his strength and his willingness to block really show up. Um, I do think that like, there are some technical aspects that he probably needs to refine. Like, I think there's times where he'll lower his head into contact, stuff like that. Like nothing, nothing major, but I think it happens. But but that's the kind of thing like when when the guy has the the strength and like the 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 willingness to do it I feel like it I feel like it's there like the tools are there for him to become and easily become a three down player health willing like am I just being optimistic or is that because because with Pat Shermer's offense he asked his running backs to block quite a bit that was that one of the issues that I think Lindsay ran into last year is that the Broncos and I and I honestly thought Philip Lindsay an underrated blocker. But the coaching staff didn't seem to believe in him as much as maybe I did. But I think Williams brings more to the table there because he's a little bit stronger.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just think traditionally he's he fits the prototype of what you're looking for in a pass blocking running back, just because he is he's bigger and he is so physical. Um, one thing that really speaks well, to, you know, a lot of it is, is how well because the NFL passing games are like an order of magnitude more complex than what he was dealing with at North Carolina. So a lot of it is just being, you know, assignment sound and scheme sound. But one thing that speaks well to his ability to do that is the fact that North Carolina used him as, you know, as the season went on, they really used him as their third down back. Yep. You know, that you could tell that he was the guy that they had confidence in from a pass protection standpoint. Uh, you know, route running, catching the ball standpoint and Carter Carter's a pretty good receiver also. Um, But especially in in terms of like the pass pro, the fact that he was able to earn that role and be the third down back, even despite, you know, Carter being sort of like this scat back type where the inclination for a coach would be to put that scat back as your third down back. Uh, I think it speaks well to his ability to pick up the offense at like the passing game components of it. Uh, So I'd be optimistic that he can handle that part of it going into, you know, Shermer, his offense is pretty complex as it, as even compared to most NFL offenses. Uh, so that, that that'll be a big part of like how well he adapts and how quickly he gets in, uh, in and how quickly his role grows. But I'm optimistic because of the role that he filled at North Carolina.
1: Cool. Uh, so there's a couple other players I wanted to kind of bug you about just because, uh, again, you and I have followed each other on Twitter for a minute and I've had a couple really cool conversations with you. Uh, I didn't reply to you once just because you brought up Jerry Judy and I didn't feel like I could give you like a good response with the character limit on Twitter. So I wanted to ask you about it here and I know I'm putting you on the spot. I'm sorry I didn't give you more of a heads up. Um, but one of the things you mentioned from last year is just that like, he, he drifts in his routes a little bit too much. And, and I noticed that some, but I don't think I, I, I don't think I've gone back and like picked it at it enough that I can really speak to it enough, but that's something you notice. And I, and I just wanted to kind of like, if you could elaborate on that.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, there narratives are very strong in yeah. the NFL. Um, Jerry Judy is a good route runner. He's in some in some aspects of route running he's a great route runner and what i would say is that he has potential to be an elite route runner in the nfl but i think a lot of people have already said have already sort of assigned in their minds that he is an elite route runner now because what you see with him is the the ability to manipulate defenders Mm -hmm. and he he can separate you know he has great feet he has great change of direction not only is he fast, but he can stop very quickly. Mm. And so those are those are like the physical traits that allow you to get separation in the NFL. Um, and so when you see the highlights and you see him just breaking a defensive back down, you say, Oh, man, this guy is really an elite route runner. But then another added layer on top of of running routes is, you know, like we, we talked about with Javante running downfield routes, right? Like, it's, it's like, You got to get open, but you got to get open at the right time. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have to get open in the right place. So if you get open, but you're in the wrong place, the quarterback doesn't have the ability to say, okay, you know, we're improvising here. And yes, you will get quarterbacks and receivers who learn to improvise together once they're like elite player. Like Antonio Brown would do a lot of improvisation in his routes, Mm -hmm. but Ben Roethlisberger was an improvisational quarterback. Uh, and those two really worked well together because their style of play fit and Roethlisberger had figured out how to play quarterback in the NFL to, to, uh, to maintain that ability to improvise. When you start talking about a guy like Drew Locke, who for the first half of last off of last season, clearly didn't really know the offense to the degree you need to, to be a functional NFL quarterback, you know, anything beyond his first read and his brain would just melt down. Um really struggled with identifying pre-snap coverages all the stuff that just says all right this guy really doesn't he's not comfortable in the offense right now yeah so then when you have a, a receiver who's sort of improvising his routes and isn't necessarily where he's supposed to be and a quarterback who's still trying to learn the offense it's just like a terrible combination <laughs> they're on the same page yeah and that was a problem with their, their whole offense really was inexperienced last year yeah and, and they really got the short end of the stick because of COVID. You yep. know, they have a new offensive coordinator. They have a COVID offseason where you can't practice anything. Uh, you have a young quarterback who is now on his second offensive coordinator. And his biggest weakness as a quarterback is probably just, like, his attention to detail. And so it's a lot of work to get him on, like, the mental aspect of it and make sure that he's where he needs to be. Like, his rookie year. You could, there was noticeable improvement as he got more experience. Was. In, ter- in terms of in terms of Drew Locke, and so he's a guy that's not, you know, Daniel Jones, the guy that comes in and wows because he knows the whole offense on day one, but he doesn't have sort of the spur of the moment decision making stuff. So it's a different issue with Locke and Jones. Locke is sort of the opposite of that, where it's like, all right, shit, did this guy even study the playbook? I don't know, um, but then he's a bit better in the moment, but. Mm-hmm. So you don't have any opportunity to work on his weakness last offseason with a new old coordinator who runs a complex offense. And then Cortland Sutton, who's like a get-out-of-jail-free get card, right, because he's a big receiver, physically dominant. Even when he's covered, he's open. Yep. Uh, you, know, you look at how valuable a guy like Keenan Allen was for Justin Herbert. The first half of the season when Herbert was in there, he's not making any reads. He's just staring down Keenan Allen, but Keenan Allen's getting open every time. So it makes the quarterback look great. Uh, so to have have that security blanket ripped off, and now, you know, you lost your number one receiver. You have a rookie in Judy who's sort of like the default number one. And then you have K.J. Hamler, you know, a later round rookie who's not quite ready to be a top two receiver. You know, uh, I'm blanking on the name. Oh, but Patrick. He just, he just he, No, the guy, Deshaun Hamilton. Oh, yeah, yeah it's just like not, not an NFL quality route runner. You know, he's like a fourth or fifth receiver at best. Uh, Tim Patrick stepped in and really did an impressive job of being like a serviceable NFL receiver, but he's not a guy you want as your number one or number two. So it's a lot of young guys, even the tight ends, you know, you have talent, a lot of talent at tight end, but again, it's young. So the whole offense is young. They're all trying to figure it out together. There's no veteran backup quarterback. It's just like, holy shit, none of us know what the hell we're doing. And you could see that in their offense for, like, the first two-thirds of the season. You could. Uh, and then things started to get a bit better there towards the end. And once they're like, all right, now we're starting to figure things out, you know, again, Drew Locke showed improvement over the last couple games, uh, you know, meaningless games, whatever, but he definitely played better over the last two or three games than he did the first however many. Um And so the way the way I view it with Judy is this is just it's a matter of getting experience, getting experience both. You know, how can I improvise while still being where I need to be, but then also getting experience with the quarterback to where they say, all right, you know, when they're doing this, I may run my route a little bit differently because this is how I'm going to separate. And so gaining that chemistry and the experience that leads to that chemistry will be big. Uh, I expect him to show a lot of growth in terms of production and reliability this year. Um, another thing he had issues with last year was, was drops at times. Yep. Man. Um, when he was I think coming, a lot,
1: of, oh, sorry. Yeah, when,
0: when he was coming
1: out, I know you mentioned at one point that he had some issues catching the ball in tight coverage. Um, and do you think yeah, that I mean, was like not, the big issue or do you think that it was something altogether different? And do you think so the tight can pitches it. can get better? Sorry. I, that was a lot of question.
0: No, man, no worries. So, I mean, he can do it. He can, he can make catches in physical coverage and he did it much better at Alabama than he did last year. Hmm. But what, what what you see with certain types of drops, some guys have drops because they have bad technique. Uh, you know, their hand eye coordination is not great. Judy has good hand eye coordination, he has good hand technique. But you can get focused drops, especially early in the career, because things are moving so fast. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, he's not used to playing with his quarterback, they don't have any chemistry, they're not quite on the same page. So you end up getting surprised by the ball, getting surprised by a defender being there when you didn't ex- expect him to. So you'll see early on in, in receivers' careers that you can be prone to focus drops as as you adjust to the speed of the game and as you develop that comfortability in terms of route running and and you know knowing when to expect the ball from the quarterback. Um, so really what I what I think, you know, looking at the Broncos offseason, and I know a lot of Broncos fans really wanted them to get rid of Locke and I could see why his season, like statistically his season last year was horrible. But Mm -hmm. then when you think about all the factors that I just mentioned in terms of like the context, I think that that was a really poor situation for a quarterback like Locke. Like it sort of highlighted his weaknesses Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and that with a year of continuity, I'm not saying he will turn it around, but some of the things that he does really well will be able to show themselves more often like he has a great arm very you know top third arm talent in the nfl Uh, he can throw a very accurate ball he does when he knows what he's doing he can play with anticipation and he can anticipate throwing windows now that's i think a people a lot of people will disagree with that because last year like i said you get in situations where the grind the gears are grinding to a halt in his head but in my opinion having watched his rookie year and his his sophomore year where he improved as the season went on and looked like a whole different quarterback. In some instances, a lot of that just has to do with just knowing where he's supposed to go when the first option is not there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know if it's a study habits issue. I mean, by all accounts, he's a smart guy. Uh, so I wouldn't know, I wouldn't think that he would have trouble if he was really like putting in the NFL quarterback and you, you sort of hear rumblings. So you wonder if he's putting in the time necessary, and as far as like, if I were the Broncos, that would go a long way towards deciding if I think he's going to turn it around or not. Like, okay, how serious is he about turning it around? Like Josh Allen, you know, a guy who really struggled his first couple of years, but then was elite year three by all accounts was just working his ass off the whole time. And, you know, had a great attitude, never got down on himself when he made mistakes. Uh, so you sort of got to have that, those intangibles, that leadership component of it. If you're going to, and it really hitch a wagon to a guy who hasn't produced yet. You got to say, well, he's doing everything right. So we hope that it'll come. So I don't know. I'm not. I don't have insight in the situation. But you hope Locke's doing that. I think continuity uh, with the receivers getting another year of experience, Sutton coming back. Well, uh, you know, having a normal offseason could really benefit this offense. And I think they could show a lot of improvement. And then also Teddy Bridgewater's there, who has a lot of experience. Uh, you know, he's not Teddy Bridgewater is never going to be a top 10 NFL quarterback, but yeah. he can he can run an offense. And so if Drew Locke still is not putting it together, doesn't know the offense going into the season, you have Bridgewater who will at least go in there and execute and do what he's supposed to do. Um, so, I mean, I think they're really set up. I think Judy's really set up well to to have a jump in terms of his quality of play this year. And one thing,
1: again, and I saw you mention this and I never bugged you about it then, but you, you compared Cortland Sutton and like drew lock that situation, like what happened with the injury kind of to like Matthew Stafford, if he would have lost Megatron really early in his career, just because Stafford essentially, and I, I, I live in Michigan, so I watched this up close as it was happening. I mean, Stafford, there were plays early in his career where he just dropped back, huck it deep. Cause that's, he knew Megatron would go get it. And there was definitely elements of that during locks rookie year as well. And he didn't have that at all last year. Like Tim Patrick's able to go up and get a ball, but that's not really Jerry Judy's game. And that's not KJ Hamler's game at all. Like that's honestly, that's a big weakness in Hamler's game. So he really, he didn't have that same kind of dynamic jump ball threat. And I think that that's a big part of what Locke does. Well, is putting the ball up and letting somebody go get it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think most NFL quarterbacks in their first couple of years are not like, they're just not going to be up on everything they need to. Yeah. Like, you know, you're not going to be Peyton Manning. You're not going to be Aaron Rodgers in your first couple years in the league. Even Aaron Rodgers sat for like three years before he even got on the I, field. So it's, I, thought, it's, I thought he
1: was a bust at first. Like, the first time I saw him play in his first year, he came out, he broke his foot. But in that game, before he broke his foot, he didn't look good.
0: Like Yeah, so, I mean, the rookie quarterbacks who have success, typically, or the young quarterbacks who have success, typically, at least in modern football, fit into a couple categories. Like, one they're great athletes like kyler murray yeah where all right kyler murray doesn't know what the hell's going on half the time his rookie year but it doesn't matter because when he doesn't know what's going on he can improvise and make something good happen josh allen same thing he didn't know what the hell's going on but it make your first read and then scramble um so you you know you either do that or these guys just aren't they're not ready justin herbert he missed reads last year you know there were times where he's mentally just totally effing up the mental side of the, you know, totally messing up that mental side of the game. But it's it's really invaluable to have a, just an elite receiver <laughs> who you know, Nails okay, you like I'm going through my read, but I know if if things mess up, I'm going to find Keenan Allen over here. And most likely Keenan's going to be open enough to at least get a, have a chance for a completion or, you know, a complete pass. And so when when things go wrong there's that safety blanket matthew stafford was a great example of this because when he came in as a rookie as a young quarterback he had you know in terms of comparing him to Locke, he had that arm talent matthew stafford has very strong arm uh you know generally is an accurate passer to all levels of the field but same issue where he you know he wasn't great at going through his reads so but he is Calvin Johnson. <laughs> you know, yes. you don't really need to go through your reads. It's like if when shit hits the fan, throw it to Calvin Johnson. So it's, it's really nice for those rookies when they're, they're confused and they don't know quite what they're seeing and they're still learning, uh, you know, sort of like what I talked about with running backs, like how can you be successful while you gain experience and build confidence and, and improve on your weaknesses and for these young quarterbacks, it's either the ability to improvise with your legs. Or having some, you know, very good receiver who's going to bail you out when you need it, uh, yeah. and I think those are sort of the formulas we've seen for young quarterbacks who have success in the NFL. Locke, you know, he can move a little bit, but he's no Kyler Murray or Josh Allen in terms of his improvisational skill. And I, I think losing Sutton was really, uh, you know, a big loss last year. When when Sutton was in the offense for the, you know, the beginning of that first game, Locke actually looked pretty comfortable in there. And, you know, they, they connected on uh, – I think it was at least – there was at least one big play, maybe a couple yep. nice plays before, uh, you know, Sutton got hurt. Uh, so, you know, could have, would have, should have. But uh, the important thing is I think that uh, with Sutton in place, the Broncos have a very, very good receiving core. yeah If Locke can take a step forward, I think – I mean, it's sort of the caveat. If he takes a step forward, I think he'll be good enough to capitalize. If he doesn't take a step forward – then they have Teddy Bridgewater, so yeah, you know, you know I think they're in pretty good shape there.
1: If so, for those listening, if they play fantasy, I guess I can, I want to put you on the spot with this. Assuming as of right now, let's say the Broncos don't end up trading for Aaron Rodgers, what players on the Broncos offense to you look like appealing fantasy options um, for this year? And obviously Sutton, I would think, just because Sutton's probably going to get drafted lower just because of the injury. Um, i would think uh and then yeah, I, would, I think but the split backfield i'm curious where you think where your thoughts are on that
0: the backfield i mean I, it's tough it's tough to say because I, I think probably people are gonna overvalue Javante a little bit and th- these things change as you get closer to the season um i the with his skill set and with the running backs they have i think most likely it's going to be a committee this year. I think probably Melvin Gordon will be a little more valuable than people think he's going to be in terms of like fantasy production. Uh, the caveat being that I th- they'll they'll probably want to get Javante short yardage work early because of his skill set, uh, so he may be the touchdown guy, which is obviously big in fantasy. Uh, when you then get to like the receiving core, I think Sutton is is the guy to target because there's been. a, I think people have forgotten how good Cortland Sutton actually is, a bit. Um, and I mean, last year he when he played for that first quarter or whatever it was, like he really he really looked like he had taken even another step. Yep. So if he's he- if he's healthy, I think he'll be their clear number one receiver. Uh, I think Jerry Judy is actually better suited to being sort of like a complimentary slot type of guy because then he he, you know, he can work off of. Sutton's routes. If Sutton's drawing that attention and really work underneath the middle of the field, um, and and sort of be a good secondary security blanket for Locke, um, but I think a lot of people in fantasy will probably end up valuing Judy a little bit above Sutton. Um, I think Sutton will lead the team in targets, lead the team in, in receiving yards. If if all guys are healthy, you know, if he comes back and he's a hundred percent off his knee injury, mm-hmm. uh, and then I think a guy who could also benefit. Uh, from Sutton being there is Noah Fant. Yeah. And not just Sutton, but also Jerry Judy. Uh, so, I mean, I, I really like some of the upside in the passing game, uh, probably mostly Sutton and Fant, uh, especially, you know, if, if it's looking early in the season, like Drew Locke is taking a step forward, uh, I, I think the passing game could really surprise some people, whereas if he doesn't take a step forward and it's Teddy Bridgewater, uh, they'll probably be a middle, middle of the pack passing offense uh but still i think some good value to be had there uh, specifically with those two guys sutton and fant
1: and then uh just kind of a, as a if the if the broncos do trade for aaron Rodgers, how good do you think this offense could be
0: i mean you know we all saw last year aaron Rodgers is one of the best if not the best quarterbacks in the nfl probably put him behind mahomes um but you know in that top three top five conversation for sure I, I mean i think that it would be a relatively easy transition you know given his experience in west coast offenses with mike mccarthy you know he has background in in the scheme uh that Shermer's is trying to run so I, and you know he's obviously very experienced so i'm sure he would pick the offense up pretty quickly uh with with their weapons you know i think the sky would be the limit just anytime you have one of the best quarterbacks in the nfl as long as you have some functional weapons around him you're going to have a really good offense so if they were to do that which i don't think i don't think green bay is going to let him go yeah but if he if he ended up in denver you know definitely they'd be up there in terms of being able to challenge the chiefs for the division uh and make a deep playoff run and be real contenders uh on the afc side to get to the super bowl uh and
1: then and again i guess since you mentioned that so then kind of as a last, if they don't trade for Aaron Rodgers, what do you kind of think like the ceiling for the Broncos season looks like? Unless like everything breaks their way. So kind of like realistically, what do you expect? Like second in the West, third in the West, fourth in the West. Cause I, I, I think realistically we can probably agree that, uh, the chiefs are probably going to run the West barring a catastrophic injury or two.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it really just comes down to what, how the quarterback position plays out. Yeah. You know, if if Locke is looking like a bust and you have Bridgewater in there, I think middle of the pack offense at best, and then the defense. Then a lot of it will come down to how good the defense is and how much the offense can avoid turnovers. I think if in that scenario where you know Locke is uh, is not doing it and Bridgewater is the guy, probably best case scenario is is competing for that wild card spot. Uh, you know, behind the Chiefs, who would be the division favorites. I think the Chargers are going to be improved this year. Me too. I think the Raiders are going to take a step back from already being bad, so I don't. Same. I don't think they really got to worry about the Raiders very much. They've just had so much turnover with very important parts of their team, like the offensive line, which has really been the centerpiece of that offense the past few years. Um, but I mean, I, I think in that case, it would it would be a pretty close call between the the Chargers and the Broncos in terms of battling them out for second in the division. Then hopefully that'd be enough for a wild card spot. If Locke takes a step forward, you know, saying that he then becomes better than Bridgewater, which is the only way I think that he'll be starting, right? If he's if he's in theory, I mean that's
1: that's what I hope they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> like I hope Locke's if Locke is starting, I hope it's because he's better than Bridgewater for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, we sort of know what Bridgewater is at this point in his career, or yeah. have a pretty good idea. So if Locke is then better than that, you know, I, I think getting into double digit wins is, is realistic. Um and i think a lot of it is just how much they trust the quarterbacks you know they ran their offense very conservatively last year a lot of running on first and second down and then passing on third and long i don't think that's really a great way to play offense in the nfl Mm-mm. um so you know i think they would benefit from being a little more aggressive but you can only do that if you have a quarterback that you're confident's not going to turn the ball over um but i think that 9 and 7 to 11 and 5 range is is possible and again, it really just comes down to the quality of the quarterback play.
1: Definitely. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, again, guys, if you haven't already followed Jay on Twitter, he is at J-M-O-Y-E-R-F-B. Um, also, you can find his work at FF Astronauts. It's on, like, they have their site. They have YouTube. I watch a lot of their stuff on YouTube. Um, Again, I'm going to attach the video about Javante to the post that you'll see this with. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. And then just one last plug while I'm here, uh, you know, if you're interested in the, in the rookies that are now on the Broncos, you know, Javante Williams, uh, the FF astronauts put together a rookie guide where we have full film breakdowns, uh, analytical profiles. Uh, it's geared towards fantasy, but it also has a lot of NFL relevant breakdown and analysis for these guys. Uh, so you can find that at ffastronauts.com. Uh, it's available through the ff astronauts patreon or for a one-time purchase Um, but i I think it's a great product and really pushes the the boundaries a little bit in terms of allowing the user to weigh how much they want to place on film how much they want to place on you know college production or analytics um, and then modifying all that for landing spots so it's a pretty cool tool Um, so People, if, if you check that out, that would be great. Um, but thanks for having me on. I had a great time. Always, Again, always fun to talk football. So thanks. Definitely.